Welcome back this Monday afternoon to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and we are getting back into Mark chapter number 14 today, beginning in the first verse, and we're going to be dealing with the feast days, dealing with the the Seder meal of Jesus, otherwise known as the Last Supper, that we celebrate in our communion with the third cup of the Seder meal being the, the cup of redemption. And we're going to be dealing with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, basically the Sanhedrin court, and, and how they seek to snare Jesus so they can take him and finally be rid of the Savior. So hang on tight. We're going to be flying through this to be able to accomplish the book of Mark. So God bless it. Let's go to him in prayer and thank him for the blessing of a beautiful, beautiful weekend that he has given us and the joy of this rainy, mostly rainy Monday uh, that we can celebrate Jesus. Father, we are grateful. We ask thy blessing upon us as we dive into the word of God that we may be able to rejoice in all things that you have revealed and done, the precious Lamb of God, which would be given for the remission of our sins. Bless us, Lord, as we consider these things in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, something right out the gate that's absolutely hilarious is happening right here in Mark chapter number 14 from verses 1 and 2. And this is the plot. This is where the Pharisees and the scribes, Sadducees as well, but oftentimes the Sadducees wouldn't lower themselves to such a degree as to be uh, found often in the company of the Pharisees and the scribes. But these guys are all plotting together at this point because Jesus is just ruining everything. He's ruining their perfectly powerful religion over the people. And so they've got to shut Jesus down. Well, in the first two verses here, as we read together, the scripture says, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So which feast day are they talking about here? Because they said, well, not on the feast day, but they mentioned two feasts. They mentioned the feast of Passover and they mentioned the feast of unleavened bread. Let's see if we can't find a clue as to which feast they're talking about given in Leviticus chapter number 23. So heading back over to the Torah or the books of the law up in Leviticus chapter number 23, we see that the feast, the seven feasts of God are all laid out in plan. The two feasts that are being referred to is the feast of the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. So we're going to look at the feast of the Passover, but before we do that, actually, we've got to back up to the let's see Leviticus chapter 23 and verse number 3 we've got to we've got to kind of talk about the overarching day that that the fear exists inside of these priests high priests and scribes and that is the the sabbath or the day of rest in Leviticus 23 and verse number 3 the scripture says six days shall work be done but the seventh day is the sabbath of rest a holy convocation 
You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So it's very important to understand that that when it comes to the potential of a Sabbath day, and granted, every week there is one Sabbath day in the week for the Hebrew people. It should be for us as Christians too. <laughs> and and in, in that day, which is considered Saturday or or the the seventh day of the week, in that day, there is to be no work to be done. And in fact, the scripture goes on to to detail that even more. As you see, the law of God is written in Exodus chapter number 20, that it says in the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then he goes on to describe that there will be no servile work, no no servant-based work going on. So that that pretty much takes everything to picking up sticks, to building a fire, to to any, anything that you could possibly think of. And it said, but your maidservant and your manservant and, and the people in your household and the people, you know, so it's like total shutdown, no work on the Sabbath day. So we move to verse number four of Leviticus 23, and we start talking about the Passover, because what we're trying to discover from Scripture is what feast day these priests and scribes are talking about, because the one thing that they don't want to do is violate their own religion. They don't care about violating the Word of God. They've been doing that for for a long, 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 long time. They They don't care about the Word of God. But what they do care about, and this is very important to realize because we have a lot of churches that are this way today, instead of being a, a proclaimer of the Word of God, they manipulate the Word of God to satisfy a people because they care about their religion more than they care about the truth. And that's that's the reality for these scribes and Pharisees. They, they cared more about the religion and the way that the people perceived them in religion than they cared about what the Word of God actually had to say. And so they were trying to figure out when the best time to snare Jesus would be, but they know they can't snare him on the feast day. Elsewise, it will cause them to have a bad look before those that are following the religion. So they're they're trying to figure out how to get him outside of the feast day. But what? Which one? They mentioned two. They mentioned a Passover. They mentioned unleavened bread. And so we go to verse number four. We're dealing with the Passover. It says, "These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover." That's all you get on the 14th day in the evening. So what happens is on this 14th day, when when, when you're coming up from the 13th day to the 14th day, you're, you're dealing with this concept of Passover because the days the days change for Hebrew people at, at around 6 or 6.30 p.m. At the sun going down, the day's going to change for them, whereas for us, on the Roman calendar set, our days change at midnight. At the stroke of midnight, we're in a brand new day. But for them, they've been in a brand new day for about three hours, three to four hours even. They've already been in a brand new day by the time it hits midnight. So understand that, that this meal is going to be a meal that's going to be eaten somewhere about 
three o'clock <laughs> on the, on that fourteenth day is is in the evening, uh, coming into the close of the fourteenth day into the fifteenth day. But need, nevertheless, this particular feast, this Passover, there's a lot of work that goes into this. In the detailed description of the Passover, you've you've got to start on the 10th day and you've got to clean your house. You've got to bring your lamb into the house. You've got to dress your lamb. You've got to make sure that there's absolutely no spot, no blemish. You've got to You've got to keep your lamb for four days inspecting it. You've got to make sure that there's absolutely no leaven in your house. You've got to clean the house entirely and have it certified as clean by a rabbi. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to go through all of these different hoops, and there's a whole lot of work involved in the Passover. So it's certainly not the Passover that they would be worried about violating their religious principles by, by snaring Jesus. But it's this, the 15th day. In verse number 6 of Leviticus 23, on the 15th day of the same month, so the very next day, is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have unholy convocation. You shall do no servile work. Therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. The concept of no servile work is meaning that it is a Sabbath, as you would understand the Sabbath to be taught as concerning the the commandment of God in 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 Exodus chapter twenty of the fourth commandment. It says there shall be no servile work. So you have this connection of the the Sabbath day as being an, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So on, on the Feast of the Passover, you could do anything you wanted to, and because that's a feast that, that does not require a cessation of, of servile work. But on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you better not touch him. You better not do anything because if you do, it's not that you're going to violate the word of God because remember, these guys don't care a whit about violating God's word. It's about religion. It's about the way they look among the people. It's about the way they sound among the people. It's about it's about how the people relate to them as concerning religion. And, and they would ruin all of that if they violated their own commandment, if they violated their own law concerning the law that they have pressed the people under. So they can't touch him on the 15th day, but they can touch him on the 14th day. So let's take a look at that. As we head back over to Mark chapter number 14, and and you see after two days was the feast of Passover. So the 10th day has already been accomplished. And what you're going to find here is that on the 10th day, you've already accomplished the beginnings of the preparations for the lamb, the beginnings of the preparation for the house to be free of leaven. You've got two more days before the actual Passover is about to take place. This is the situation where Jesus is going to be working with his disciples to to get them into the, the upper room where they can have the Seder meal together. This is all kind of happening all at the same time. And after two days, there's a feast of the Passover. That's the, that's the feast they can snare Jesus in and of unleavened bread, the feast they can't snare Jesus in. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. 
But they said, and now you know which feast this is, not on the feast of unleavened bread. You, you can't do it on the feast that you're not supposed to be doing anything. You see, lest there be an uproar of the people. And so being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment and spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now we've moved Mark 14 in verse number 3. And this is a really beautiful section of scriptures by the characters that are represented here. People whom the world around them, the society that they lived in, people who would easily be rejected and and have nothing to be done with them. And yet here Jesus is in the midst of them all. We'll look at it in just a second. Verse number four, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you you may do them good. But me you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this God, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of a memorial of her. Memorialized by Jesus. What more could you possibly ask for? And this work that she has done, indeed, to this very day in 2020, here, uh, what is this, November 30th of 2020, we're talking about the work that this woman's done. Now, a lot of the works that the apostles had done, we don't really know anything about it except for the things, way, the many ways which they got in the way of Jesus doing his work. <laughs> There's a few of those things we know. But those specific works of the apostles, there's only a handful that we really know anything about, but we really don't talk about them all that much. But this woman, every time you study the gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, you're going to meet this woman, you're going to meet this work, and she's been memorialized by the Son of God himself and the activity that she had done. And that's just awesome to me. Now, there is one thing that is memorialized by, by Jesus as concerning these disciples, and unfortunately it's memorialized for us because we're much the same. And that's the murmuring. If you look at verse number five, it's the disciples that are around this woman, it's the disciples that are around Jesus that are the ones murmuring. Because once they get to, in Bethany, remember that he's traveling with his 12. He's traveling with his apostles, and they're going into Jerusalem. They're going to get ready for the Seder. They've got a lot of different things that they're going to do, and they make this stop off in Bethany. Now, what I originally told you about was was the people that, that the society could care less about, but Jesus spends time with. And thank God for this. You've got Simon the leper, and you've got this woman that are specifically mentioned in this particular section of Scripture. Simon the leper 
a, a leper, a leper, by the way, they, they don't mention him Simon, son of Jonah, or Simon, son of, you know, somebody else. They, they call him Simon the leper. So this is what this guy is known to be, is this leper. And of course, with leprosy, he's not allowed into the temple. He's not allowed into the synagogue. He's not allowed in, into the public square. He's, he, he's not allowed to go anywhere. He's confined to this house. Now, we know him as Simon the leper, but we also know that this Simon has been healed by Jesus. So he's not a leper anymore. But because of the former leprosy that he had had, he's going to carry that for the rest of his life. He's never going to be accepted in society. He's never going to be accepted into the in populace in general. And and so this guy is always until the last day, even after his last day, when people are talking about Jesus, they're going to be like, "Yeah, you know, he hung out at Simon the leper's house." I mean, even to twenty twenty, we see this guy, and he's just known as Simon the leper and and so you can understand the the way in which he would be received in society he's just not but that's the beauty of Jesus he came for the sick he came for the unrighteous he came for the broken he came for the sinner praise god he came for me and he came for you unless of course you find yourself as already righteous unless you find yourself as already perfect unless you find yourself as as not sick and perfectly fine, then Jesus can't do anything for you. But if you recognize the symptoms of sin in your life and you recognize the brokenness, (coughs) excuse me, and you recognize your need for salvation, Jesus came for you. Excuse me. All right. So we've got this scenario here where you've got Simon the leper and we have this woman. Now, this woman. What woman? This woman. This woman having an alabaster box of ointment and spikenard. Very precious. Now, in, in different places of scripture, we could tie together that this is most most likely uh, Mary. Mary, the, the sister of Martha, whose brother is Lazarus. And due to the fact of, of the, the healing and the transformation that Jesus does in Mary's life, you find her weeping upon his feet and wiping his feet with the hairs of her head. So that certainly this young lady is, is among the midst of them, and this ointment comes out. Now, the ointment, the alabaster box, is a very beautiful box. It's, it's very ornate. It's, it's like a marble type of box that, that is holding this this oil, this ointment, this anointing oil. And and the purpose behind this is a dowry. This this is an oil that is to be used upon the time where she would enter into an engagement, into a marriage, where this oil would be would be poured either upon her or she would put place it upon herself to come in unto her husband to be that sweet smelling savor that, that would that would cause his cause him to rejoice. Um, with her and for her and among her so 
That's what this oil in its purpose is meant for. What she does, she comes in and she breaks the box. Now, this does not mean there are some religions out there, there are some denominations out there who try to proclaim that Jesus was married to this lady or that Jesus was married to like two or three women. Because this woman breaks this box and anoints his his head with this oil, this isn't her getting married to Jesus. This is her recognizing Jesus, honoring Jesus, and the work that he's about to have to do. And this is this is her pouring out every ounce of praise that she has for the Lord that she has that she has chosen to be her savior. She has acknowledged Jesus where everybody else in the room except for Simon the leper has has just treated him like an average guy. He's treated him like like any other rabbi. He's just Jesus. I mean, it's just Jesus. Why are you why are you wasting that ointment says Judas Iscariot. Of course, who would be the betrayer of Jesus and the handler of the money? He says, why? Why in the world are you dumping this ointment on his head when you could have sold that for 300 pence and I could have robbed you? I mean, why? Why? You know, think about it, guys. Why in the world would you waste money on, on Jesus? And a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people, you know, you don't give your tithe to the church because you don't see that it's doing any benefit for you or what you want it to do. You 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 don't do anything in the church with your time. You just show up on a Sunday because you think that's enough to be able to please God because that's what your religion has told you. You don't you don't interact with the children of God. You certainly enjoy the children of the devil all week long, but you don't really have anything to do with the children of God. I'd, I'd say you're lost, but that's not my place to be able to call. I can say you're not a Christian. That's just the truth of it. But you you realize that that you know you you you're just you're just like Judas at this point because Judas he's he's walking with Jesus. Praise God for the last three years he's surrounded himself with Jesus. He's he's ever he's seen the blind come to, to vision. He's seen the deaf come to hearing. He's seen the lame get up and walk. He's seen the the, the just so much the mute to be able to talk he's seen the dead rise from the dead he's 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 seen so much he saw jesus walking on water and pulling money out of a fish's mouth to pay taxes i mean he saw five thousand eat from a from loaves of bread like five loaves of bread and two fish i mean the guy has seen the savior in action and still he's just jesus it's so old uh, to him that it's just Jesus. Whatever, who cares? It's it's just Jesus. And so when this woman who acknowledges her Savior and who longs to honor her Lord, and she pours this oil upon his head as as to anoint him like it was with Aaron when, it, when the oil would run down from his head as he's anointed among the beard with 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 the blessing of of the high priest office and and as the priest would come into his work rather the priest that that kept the showbread or the the in altar of incense or the menorah the candlesticks 
or any of the Levites that would be working within the tabernacle or in the temple, uh, they, they all had this anointing take place in this preparation for their service to be a sweet-smelling savor unto the Father. And, and, and this is what this woman has done in pre- preparation for the Lamb of God and for the gift that would be given. And all the disciples could do, all this particular disciples could do, is just murmur about it. You're wasting money that could have gone into my pocket. That's 300 pence. By the way, this guy knew exactly what that alabaster box and the ointment inside of it would be approximation would be worth. He's like in verse 5, it could have been sold for more than 300 pence and given to the poor. Hey, wake up. She is the poor. Wake up. Simon the leper is the poor. Wake up. You're you're talking about a people who are in poverty. You're in their house of poverty, and you're complaining about their poverty because the very thing that, that, that was most precious to her, the very thing that she had left of any kind of value at all, is going on Jesus. And that ought to be a testimony to the believer today, to the Christians today, is that this woman was giving just like that old woman that put her two pennies inside of that box as she was making offering unto the Lord going into the synagogue. This woman took the best of everything that she had left that was worth anything and she poured it out upon Jesus because she was honoring her Savior. And we don't do that. Praise God, we give we we give our broken table to the church because we replaced it with a brand new one, and we give our we give our worn out couch to the church because we we replaced it with our new one. <clears throat> we don't give the best; we give the broken. This woman, she gave the best, and the disciples murmured. Really, Judas, but Jesus nails him. Thank God, Jesus takes a stand for the helpless. Jesus defends the weary. Jesus defends the broken. Jesus defends those that are hurting and struggling. Jesus defends us. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why why are you bothering her? It's her box. It's her ointment. If she wants to dump this on my head and honor me as her Savior, praise God, leave her alone. She's doing a great work on me. And then he says in verse number 7, exactly what have you done for the poor? Exactly how have you served the poor? You've been following me these three years, and how much have you done for the poor? Now, I mean, Jesus did a lot. All the disciples did was pass out what Jesus did. The disciples themselves didn't do anything. Jesus, up to this point, has been doing everything. And so, exactly what have you done? I mean, you're accusing this lady of of ignoring the poor, even though she is in that number of the poor. You're accusing her of ignoring the poor and pouring this ointment on me when she could have sold that and then given to the poor. Exactly what have you given to the poor? Exactly how have you blessed those who are struggling and hurting? 
He said, you have the poor with you always. And whenever you will, you may do them good. By the way, whensoever you will, whenever you want to do them good, you could do them good because you have plenty. You got plenty of money. You got plenty of of food. You got plenty of clothes. You got plenty of house. You got plenty of cars. You got plenty of everything. You have plenty. So whenever you chose to be a blessing to the poor, you can just go be a blessing to the poor. You have them always with you. Imagine him saying that to the disciples, many of which came from a setting of poverty, by the way, many of which came from a setting of poverty. And when they began to follow Jesus, it wouldn't have been anything for them to have had nothing because that's where they started from. But since being with Jesus, they've never missed a meal. In fact, the meals have come from pretty much out of nowhere. It's pretty amazing. Their, their clothes have never worn out. Their shoes have never worn out. They've always had a roof over their head. They've, they've, they've gained in notoriety of being the disciples of Yeshua. That They've actually become more rich than ever they've been before, and they didn't know how to handle it. It's a typical rag-to-riches story where they don't know how to handle it. And so they're accusing this woman who is in the rank right, right among them as being in poverty of, of wasting her her wealth, which is the alabaster box of ointment, which is all she had. If she could have sold that, given it to the poor. But she's giving away her hope of marriage for something so much more important than all the rest of that. She's honoring the king with everything she's got. And that's exactly the way we're supposed to be. And so Jesus nails him with that. In verse 8, he says, she's done what she could. I mean, this is all that this lady had to be able to bless Jesus. This is all that she had left. Really, what she doesn't realize is that her heart's gift was greater than the, than the physical gift of the ointment. Her heart's gift of, of praise to her Savior was so much more. You know, when when I give my tithe, actually, I, I have to take that back. My, my precious wife gives my tithe because it's something that I don't think about. <laughs> She's often the one with the checkbook writing out the tithe because it's literally, it's just something I don't think about. But I rejoice in the fact that we are one flesh. And so when, when she slash I, <laughs> give that tithe. Hallelujah. What a praise it is. This is this is something that, that God has blessed us with. I mean, if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have anything at all. We wouldn't have a home. We wouldn't have a car. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have food on our table. We would we wouldn't have clothes on our backs. We wouldn't have shoes on our feet. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have this this setup, this little studio that we can come together and and praise the Lord every day in in Scripture. And and <clears throat> if it wasn't for God, I just wouldn't have any. Thing. I wouldn't have any of this. I wouldn't have that beautiful wife. I wouldn't have these, these wonderful children. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God. Why in the world wouldn't I give back to my God for that? What would I withhold from God because of that? Who would I be to think that I would be able to be just satisfied with the fact that, that he has me and, and that should be enough? That Guys, these disciples and Christians today are nuts. We're ju- we're just nuts because he's done so much. 
even when you didn't believe him, even when you didn't faithfully follow, even when you had no idea who Jesus was, he was watching out for you. The Father was was guiding you. The Father was protecting you. Say, how do you know that? Because you know him now. He's revealed himself to you now as he had been revealing himself to you all along. Well, she's done what she could, Jesus said. She came to anoint my body to the burying. <laughs> That's a tough uh, tough subject. Of course, his disciples aren't going to understand that. You, what about burying? What? You ain't going nowhere, Lord. You're too young to die. Well, let me tell you something. You're not too young to die. You can be too young to live, but you can't be too young to die. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Praise God. That's a fact. And here it is, guys, to finish off the day. Verse 10 and 11 of Mark 14. Here it is. The betrayal. Now, Jesus bit their head off and he defended this woman and he defended Simon the leper and Judas has had enough. He's dealt with this enough. He's tired of it. How dare we sit down in this leper's house? How dare you correct me when, when, when I'm fussing at this woman? I'm tired of it and I'll get you back. Judas Iscariot, verse number 10, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now, this is two days before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the situation, you've got Judas. He's just had his head bit off at Bethany about about fussing about this woman and her alabaster, alabaster ointment box. And so as as soon he just slides away and he, he catches up with the chief priest and he says, look, I'm tired of this guy. I, I, I stand on your side and I'm going to give him to you. And the, and the chief priests are like, yes, a betrayer within the camp. Hallelujah. We got somebody on the inside because they weren't going to be able to get close enough to Jesus. They weren't going to be able to snare Jesus. They weren't going to be able to trap Jesus. There was nothing that the priesthood was going to be able to do against Jesus because in every angle, Jesus would see him coming. Of course, they didn't realize that Jesus was actually God so that he knew the hearts of men and he knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Judas's his intentions and that's why in the, in the Lord's Supper and we talk about that Seder meal, he looks at Judas before the third cup that they partake of when the, he has just the 11 at that point and he says, whatever you've got to do, go to it and get it done quickly is because he knows, he knows the betraying heart of Judas. But they don't, they don't know that he knows. And so Judas coming to him said, look, I'll give him to you. And they said, we'll pay you. Because they knew exactly how to rattle Judas's strings. They knew how to pull his heart strings. They know Judas and money is a good combination. We offer him the money. He's going to do the work. And so they come, they, they, they've got a guy on the inside. And so it is, and I'll, I'll finish with this today because it takes us over in the first day of the Passover, and I just, there's so much in this point of Passover that, to be able to go through, but we will read it 
anyways, from, from verse number 12, we'll read down to 21, and that'll prepare our hearts for tomorrow's message concerning the, the, the actual Passover feast. And this is the preparation. And it says in verse number 12, of the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth them forth, two of his disciples, and said unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he'd never been born. (laughs) Of course, if he'd never been born, then the betrayal never would have happened. And if the betrayal never happened... Jesus would have gone a long time in the into the dying, and if Jesus doesn't die for us, then we don't have redemption through him. By the way, if Jesus doesn't die on a tree, it isn't fulfillment of prophecy. And and it, there's so much to the connection of this this life. There's so much to the connection of prophecy of Jesus' death. That, that are specific, that is required according to prophecy, and Jesus fulfills it in every way. Such an exciting discussion that we can dive into tomorrow as concerning this. But also, what one thing before I go is, is the concept that is shown in verse number 12. It said, on the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover. So a lot of people think that, that we've entered into a contradiction because they say, well, okay, the first day is actually the, the, the Pesach or the, the Passover, and then the second day is unleavened bread, and then the third day is feast fruits. But all three of these individual days are marked as one overarching holiday known as unleavened bread. And so the Passover is the beginning of, or the preparation and beginning of the actual uh, day of unleavened bread. And the first fruits is, is the ending of the day or the feast of unleavened bread. And so the feast of Pesach and the feast of first fruits are under arching or under the umbrella, I should say, of the center feast of unleavened bread. And so when you see the scriptures of Mark 12 or 14, 12 rather, and it says the first day of unleavened bread when they kill the Passover, that, that really is for the, the, the feast of unleavened bread, that really is the first day. That's the Passover. And then the the second day, the 15th day, that's when they were kicked out of Egypt and they didn't have time to be able to raise their bread. They didn't have time to be able to leaven it. They just had to leave with unleavened bread. 
And then the third day that they had left and been kicked out of Egypt is a day of rejoicing because it is a day of redemption, really. It's that day where they've been rejuvenated as Israel again, separated from the bondage of of Egypt. So it's that first fruits unto the Lord of a brand new people that that have come out of the world. And that, that is to signify that the death burial, and resurrection of our Lord, just like our coming to Jesus when we make confession because of the belief in our heart. And we talked about this in Sunday school yesterday. When we believe in our heart, it drives us to confession. Well, our confession is really our death because we're acknowledging that we're sinners. We're acknowledging all of the sin that has separated us from God and and the death that we rightly deserved of eternal separation from God because of the evil and rebellion that we have in our heart. And so when we when we surrender to God, we we then enter into the feast of unleavened bread because what has happened is we have acknowledged the leaven of of our soul. We have surrendered unto God to purge us from the leaven of our soul by that burial that we would essentially be as that unleavened bread and then we acknowledge that that new man that has come out on the other side of salvation in the feast of first fruits we have been risen unto the lord a brand new creation through christ and we are no longer that old man we are no longer that old nature we now are born again person with a brand new nature that is heavenly, that is Christ-like, that we can live for Jesus. And so the first three of the spring feast recognize the death, Passover, the burial, feast of unleavened bread, and the resurrection, the feast of first fruits of Jesus. And so it's very important for us to realize how the, those things play out. And, and they're connected. They're three separate feasts, but they're all one because Each one of these carries its own unique action to bring us to Jesus. So very cool stuff, guys. We'll get into it tomorrow. I hope you tune in because it's really going to be worth it. So let's thank God for this blessing. Father, we're grateful for everything you've done, for the word of God that you have given. And I pray that it would impact our soul. Not the ramblings and babblings that I have to say about it, But the very scripture itself, which is the power of converting the heart. God bless it. We'll give you thanks for it this day in Jesus' name. All right, guys. God bless you. And God keep you. And God transform this Monday for you so that he may cause his face to shine upon you. And we'll rejoice together tomorrow in Mark chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 12. So I'll see you then. God bless.